Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. If folks are coming in, we've got some uh, seats here on the sides if, uh, if you guys need to help them find a place. But thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for coming this morning. Thanks especially to those of you who, this just is all very uncomfortable. And uh, you felt like even by coming, ah, this, just, this feels out of my element. Thank you. It's a real act of courage, and, and we admire that you would do that. Uh, so thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm Luke. I'm one of the pastors. Did I say that already? I don't know. But if I didn't, that's who I am. And uh, I want to make sure you know about the series that we're going to start next week. Next week, we're going to start a series through the book of Titus. That's a book that's in the New Testament uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to this young guy that he had mentored. And it's really all about having a healthy life as a follower of Jesus, a healthy uh, life with God, a healthy life with uh, family, a healthy life within the church. Uh, so we'll spend eight weeks going through the book of Titus. would love you to come back and and go through that with us. Uh, but today, we're not going to talk about Titus. We're going to talk about something else. And people, you know, it's funny. People will ask, hey, Luke, what are you, what are you talking about on Easter? It's like, uh, not the Christmas story. Um, we're talking about the resurrection, right? That's not a surprise that, that that's what we would talk about. Um, but when you think about the resurrection, the idea that Jesus Christ went into a grave and came up out of it alive, glorious, majestic, full of glory, right? That, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's surprising. And, and it's always been surprising, right? We say he is risen, he's risen indeed. And it's kind of like, we've got, all the, we've got all the stuff that goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard about the resurrection. But think about how surprising this is. And it's always been that way. The Jews, they believed that there would be a resurrection. And for the, for the Jews, the way they thought of it uh, is that at the end of history, all people at the same time would be resurrected to eternal life or to eternal death, but that there would be this resurrection of all people. They had no slot for the idea that only one person would be resurrected and then everyone else would be resurrected. So that was a huge surprise to them that Jesus was resurrected. And even though Jesus had multiple times, if you read the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, multiple times Jesus went to his disciples and said, hey, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me. They're going to torture me. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise. He said that three different times. And yet, on Easter morning, there's nobody outside the tomb going, 10, 9, 8, Set, right? Like nobody, nobody saw that coming, right? Like even though he told them. And so it was just this huge surprise. Now we could talk a lot about whether the resurrection of Jesus is true, right? We could look at all the evidence and all the history and all the different stuff to try to say, why would we believe the resurrection is true? And there's, there's a lot we could talk about. We could talk about how uh, the disciples of Jesus had run. They were afraid. They were uh, uh, just totally on the run. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, they're courageous. They're bold. They're willing to die for their faith. W what could explain a change like that? We could talk about that. We could talk about what I think is maybe the best evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, which is that his brother, James, eventually became one of his followers, right? James rose the book of James in the end of the New Testament. And uh, think about this. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? <laughs> He'd have to rise from the dead, right? Like, I mean, that, that, like that's it, right? And so I think that's, I mean, so there's all kinds of evidence. There's other things we could look at. But, but this morning, this isn't a message about why the resurrection of Jesus is true. This is a message about why you should want it to be true. 
why you should want the resurrection of Jesus to be true. You may be here, uh, particularly as a person that just is not that interested in this, or go, I, you know, I, I guess I could investigate stuff, and there's history, and there's whatever. But you're never going to do that if you don't at least want it to be true. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, there's remarkable significance in the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know what it is? And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is why you should want the resurrection of Jesus to be true. Now, the place that we're going to go to to talk about it is in 1 Corinthians 15. So uh, hopefully you still have your Bible open there. If not, uh, go ahead and open it to 1 Corinthians 15. And at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. If you're not familiar with Paul, he was a Jewish guy who had been very zealous for Judaism. Uh, so zealous, in fact, that he had persecuted and killed many Christians. Think about him as a kind of jihadist for Judaism, right? That's who he was, tracking down, killing Christians. And in the middle of that, the resurrected Jesus meets him and changes his entire life. He ends up, instead of being an opponent of Christianity, being its biggest champion. And one of the churches that he helped start in Corinth, he writes a letter to them here. And in chapter 15, he reminds them about the gospel story that he had given to them. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, the word gospel there is a word that means good news. It is this uh, good news about something that's happened, right? This is something to be announced. This is something to be proclaimed. He's going to remind them of the gospel. He says, verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still asleep, though, uh, or still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And asleep there is a way of talking about death. Uh, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, listen, I want to remind you of the good news. There's a lot of things in the Bible that uh, you should read. There's a lot of things in the Bible you should reflect on. But, and there's a lot that's in the Bible that's important. But Paul says, of all the things, I'm going to tell you what's of first importance. Christ died and Christ raised. And then here's all the people who saw him. That's the core of the gospel message. And if you actually want to explore more of that gospel message, I want to invite you to a class that we have coming up. Uh, registration for it ends tomorrow. You can go on our website and register for it. It's called Christianity 101. It's a four-week class just helping you explore the basics of that good news story. And uh, if, if something happens today that you're thinking, man, I'd like to know more, Christianity 101 would be a great place for you. If you maybe even feel like, you know, I've got all these pieces of Christianity, but I don't know how they fit together. Christianity 101 would be good. We'll go through the kind of thing that Paul just described there. So he's saying the core of the Christian faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then in the rest of this chapter, and we're not going to work through the entire chapter, he starts unpacking why the resurrection of Jesus really matters. And one of the things that he says is the resurrection of Jesus, he calls it the first fruits of our own resurrection. Think about it, if you were a farmer and you had a harvest, the first fruits 
are the, the first things that come up, the first grain that sprouts or the first, first fruit that comes. And it's evidence that there's a harvest, right? And so the first fruit, if Jesus is the first fruits of, of our resurrection, that means there's evidence that we're gonna be resurrected someday as well. And that's something we should want to be true. And then this is where we're gonna look uh, at the end of the chapter in chapter 15, verse 50. Here's what we see here. You should want Jesus' resurrection to be true because the resurrection of Jesus initiates the world we all long for. The resurrection of Jesus initiates the world that we all long for. You and I, we all long for a better world. Maybe we don't take that much time to think about it. Maybe this is not top of mind because we're dealing with other stuff. But if you were to stop and think, say, what's the world that I long for? What kind, of a, what kind of a world would, would be great? Here's what you'd come up with. You'd say, I want a world where people are kind. I want a world where people are loving. And they're not just loving because someone's useful to them. They're not trying to use people, but they're loving just because they love. It's unconditional. It's even not even earned, right? We'd want that. We would want a place where there was forgiveness. We would want a place where there was justice where the things that, that are right were done. We would want a place where there was strength and yet courage and yet humility and we would want all of that together. And, and this is the world that Jesus' resurrection initiates. We could call it the kingdom of God. And the Bible actually begins with a story about the kingdom of God. In the very beginning of the Bible, God creates everything and he puts Adam and Eve in a garden. And that garden, you could say, this Garden of Eden, is the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, everything is right. They have closeness with God. It says they walk with him in the cool of the day. They get along great with God. And, and Adam and Eve get along well with each other. They're naked and unashamed, which means they're comfortable in their own skin. So they're, they're, they're okay with themselves. And they get along great with the rest of the creation. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve. Says, you know what, can you really trust God? Are you really sure God's for you? God might be holding out on you. And they rebel against God, they reject God. We could call it sin, right? Sin is the thing that enters into the world as they say, no, we don't really want God. Uh, sin enters the world, the kingdom of self begins and that's where we've all lived. We've lived in a place that isn't justice and it's not courage and it's not humility without lots of downsides on all of those things. And so the resurrection of Jesus initiates the world we all long for, the kingdom of God. Here's where we see this. In 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 50. Verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, think about this for a moment. Paul is in this section talking about the resurrection. And he's saying, what's coming is the kingdom of God, right? We had it in the very beginning. A sin made us where we're alienated from God, alienated from each other, don't feel comfortable in our own skin. Lots of conflict in the world. Like they were experiencing the kingdom of self. What Jesus' resurrection did is brought about the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, listen, the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdom of self that you need a new body to experience it. That's why he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, listen, it's not so different that you don't still have a body. You have a body. But what you need is not a perishable body, but an imperishable body. Right? And if you've looked in the mirror any time recently, 
you know that your body, like mine, is perishing. Right, isn't it? I mean, it's getting wrinklier, and it's getting saggier, and it's getting more spotted in parts. Right? I mean, like, just look. I mean, like, you young folks that are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Look around. Like, we're your future. <laughs> like, sorry. This is what's coming. And, and, and what Paul's saying is, you, you can't enter the kingdom of God with a perishable body, a body that's racked with sin, a body that's racked with pain, a body that's racked with, with disease and cancer, and back pain, and diabetes, and Alzheimer's, and all the things that, again, are not part of the world that we would want. He says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to have a new, glorious, imperishable body. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Again, we won't all die. Not everyone will die. Some, some will live until Jesus returns. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised, that will be our, our resurrection, dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. The fact that Paul is going through this whole thing about perishable versus imperishable, mor mortal versus immortal, what is all of it about? All of it is pointing to the fact that there is a kingdom of God. There is a world that we long for. There is a world with no more crying and no more tears and no more sin and no more sadness. That world has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it's as if this kingdom of self and this kingdom of God now have begun to overlap. And so people who are followers of Christ, we still live in a world of sin. Right? We still disobey God. We still do things that we would never even want to do. We still experience sickness. We still experience relational breakdown. We experience all the elements of sin. And yet what Jesus has brought with his resurrection is the opportunity for those who trust in him to also experience the kingdom of God. Love that's unconditional. Kindness, mercy, justice, strength, humility, that is now available, right? And that's actually what's symbolized when we do baptism, right? So in a little while, we'll have some folks and they'll get baptized and they'll go down into the water just like Jesus went down into the grave and they'll come up out of the water and what that symbolizes is they have new life. They're getting a foretaste. They're getting a preview of the coming attraction of the kingdom of God because they're united to Christ by faith. You want this new world. It's what you long for. Even if you've never thought about it, it's what you long for. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He was one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's true. You have those desires. You were made for another world. And the resurrection of Jesus initiates it. How? What does Jesus do in his resurrection that initiates it? Well, we complete the sentence, the resurrection of Jesus initiates the world we all long for by destroying the sting of death. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, in other words, when you're resurrected just like Jesus was, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says 
when it comes to death in this kingdom of self, in this kingdom, this present age that we're in, there's a sting to it. The word sting is the same word that uh, is used actually in the book of Revelation to talk about scorpions who sting, right? And I love being in Arizona. We actually know what that's like, right? Everyone, everyone's like, what's a scorpion? Well, we know that, right? You find a scorpion. Any, uh, my guess is most of you have not like found a scorpion and kept it for a pet. <laughs> hey kids, go play with the scorpion in the back, right? Like no one does that because there's a sting. Now, if you took the sting out of the scorpion, it'd be a great pet, a little ugly, but it'd be fine. Wouldn't be dangerous. Right? Why is death so bad? Because of the sting of it. Because of sin. And what Paul is saying is here is in the resurrection of Jesus, the sting of sin, the sting of death is removed. And so death is now just an entryway into the new life with Jesus. It's not something to be feared. It's not something to be despairing over. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus' resurrection destroyed death. I was uh, talking with uh, my kids on Friday because they didn't have school. Uh, many of your kids probably didn't have school for Good Friday either. They, I don't know what they call it. They don't call it Good Friday, but everyone's pretty much off for it. And I was saying uh, to, to my daughters, Abby and Caitlin, who are in school, I was saying, uh, you know, when I was a kid, at least in Colorado, I don't remember, I don't remember getting Good Friday off. You guys get Good Friday? I mean, I don't remember that. And she said, well, you should have gotten it off because it's a really important holiday. This is what Abby said, my nine-year-old. She said, it's a really important holiday. I said, well, okay. <laughs> I didn't make the rules. I, just, I wasn't off. And she said, it's probably the second most important holiday. I said, why? What's the first? She said, Easter. I said, why is Easter the most important holiday? Why is it more important than Good Friday? She said, because, here's, I, I wrote it down. She wrote, I was like, wow. She said, without the resurrection, there would be no end to death. There would just be an end to Jesus. Yeah. That's the most important holiday. You're right. Without the resurrection, there'd be no end to death. There would just be an end to Jesus, right? If Jesus just died, well, too bad. I guess it ended poorly. But Jesus rises from the dead, and he conquers Satan. He conquers sin. He conquers death, which means the sting of death is removed. The world that we've all longed for has been initiated, and it's come because of Jesus. There's nothing else we can do to get rid of it, which is why it says in uh, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This could only happen by Jesus, and it's only by trusting in Jesus and looking to Jesus that we can have the hope that the world he's initiated, that we've all longed for, has come in his kingdom. This is the world you want. I've gotten to know over the last couple of years uh, a guy named Josh McPherson and his family, uh, they live in Wenatchee, Washington. Here's a picture of their family. Josh is a pastor of Grace City Church uh, in Wenatchee, Washington. And uh, we've been part of kind of a pastor's mentoring group and stuff like that and have gotten to know each other. And uh, his daughter that he's holding hands with uh, next to him is a little girl named Ella May. And Ella May has spina bifida. Uh, maybe you know that uh, condition. It's something to do where the spinal... Uh, cord doesn't get fully closed uh, before the baby's born. And so she spent a lot of her life using walkers and in the hospital and wheelchairs and crutches and all of those sorts of things. And uh, Josh has told me about how Ella May really, really, really wants to be a ballerina. Think about that. Spend your whole life in a wheelchair. You want to be a ballerina. 
Well, Josh has a friend in Seattle who uh, has a friend who is a ballerina in Seattle at the, I don't know, the ballet company there. And this ballerina heard about LMA and said, well, why don't you uh, tell her, hey, next time they're in Seattle, they should come. We'll give them the tickets. We'll kind of tour them around backstage. We'd love to have them kind of meet the ballerinas and be a ballerina for a day. And so this friend uh, told Josh, hey, this is coming. And if you want to do this, this would be great. And uh, Josh shared with me the thing that he wrote to his friend after he heard that news uh, and LMA's reaction. He, Josh wrote to his friend. He said, dude, huge. If you knew Josh, you would laugh. That's just totally how he would say it. Dude, huge. I don't even know what to say. I read your note to her this afternoon. LMA's eyes got big and she exclaimed, really? Truly? I get to meet a real ballerina? Oh man, I should have videoed it. It would have put gas in your tank for miles. Her face was priceless. Good stuff. Josh says, we've sometimes wondered whether or not we should encourage the whole ballerina thing for obvious reasons. And then I overheard her telling her brother a couple days ago, driving home, Levi, do you know what will make heaven so wonderful? What, he said. Heaven will be wonderful because there won't be any walkers, braces, wheelchairs, or spina bifida, which means I'll finally get to run and play with you like I've always wanted to do. She said in her excited voice, as only she can. And I'll be able to dance for Jesus too. He'll love it. He's amazing, you know, and he really likes ballerinas. I can't dance now because my legs don't work, but he'll fix them in heaven, and then I'm going to dance my heart out. He can't wait to see me dance. Word for word from her mouth, my eyes watered, and I almost drove off the road. So bring on ballerinas. One day, here or there, my daughter's going to dance. Why is LMA going to dance? Because Jesus initiated the world that we all long for, the kingdom of God, with his death and his resurrection. He's destroyed the sting of death, and now there's hope. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. There's nothing more important. And God, we uh, thank you. You sent your son. That he lived and obeyed you and lived in relationship with you in a way that we never did or never could. Thank you that he died in our place. And God, thank you that he rose. Thank you that the resurrection of Jesus proves that the kingdom of God has come. Thank you that the resurrection of Jesus initiates the world that we long for. Thank you that the resurrection of Jesus destroys the sting of death. God, would our hope not be in our ingenuity or education or science or technology or our ability to turn things around? Would our hope be in the kingdom of the risen king? We pray in his strong name. Amen.